My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Mark England. Now, Mark is the Director of Sports at the British Olympic Association, and he's been involved in 10 Olympic and Olympic Winter Games. He was awarded the OBE in 2016 for services to Olympic sports, and there's so much more. I've got goosebumps. I know this one is going to be special. Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Tell me, how are you and how is lockdown treating you? Well, first of all, thank you, Angela. It's my pleasure to be here. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm in good shape. And I think that um, that's partly a mindset issue about how you how you react to, to lockdown. But having said that, you know, I, I think we all need to recognise that for, for many people, it, it's, it's the toughest time. It, it's heartbreaking for many people, coping not only the loss of family and loved ones, and, and, and very challenging for those people who perhaps don't have a garden, don't have open space and, and, and are confined in very challenging situations and, and positions with, you know, young families or elderly relatives that they can't see. And, and for many of us, I think, Angela, it's, you know, the daily, although they, they stop today, I think, but the daily just number of cases and, and, and people who passed away is a number on a, on a screen and, and very difficult for many of us to relate to the pain and heartache that, that a lot of people have gone through because it is you know a number that is steadily decreasing thankfully um, but the challenge is still there COVID-19 is, is still prevalent and it, it's having an impact a huge impact on, on planning for everybody's workplace um, and, and everybody's work um, opportunities and, and clearly in my world the, the postponement of the Olympic Games is, is an extraordinary never never having happened before in the history of the um, you know of the modern Olympic Games dating back to 1896 so uh, you know for, for many people the, the kind of polarized experiences around it which is um, you know which is extraordinary but thankfully we are um, you know we are personally we are in good shape and, and, and we've managed to keep the, the operation ticking through and, and, and um, you know that's been that's been important in terms of rephasing all of our plans for, for 2021 now and not 2020. Yeah and it's nice to hear you talking about people who 
are finding it tough because I think so often the people I talk to on the podcast are, you know, really grateful for the opportunity to be able to have time at home and get that that work-life balance even better. But you're right, there are people out there who are in desperate situations and, and the lockdown is just magnifying that. And of course, the loss as well um, is making it really tough for many. And it's difficult to put yourself in those shoes when you're not in that position. So I'm really glad that you've, you've alluded to that. And I want to talk more about what this means for you in a work capacity as we go through the podcast, because I'm sure you've had to kind of pivot on so many different levels. But first of all, Mark, we always start the podcast with what I like to call the shake your pom-poms moment. So this is about you really being able to celebrate your own successes. And I know that there have been many. And and just tell us, if you will, about your three proudest moments. Wow. Well, um, well that takes a bit of thinking. Um, <laughs> just so maybe if I could focus on, um, if you don't mind, two, maybe two professional ones and, and, and personal. Absolutely. Um, I get criticised if I didn't pop a personal one in there, wouldn't I? So, um, you know, just... London 2012, I think, was extraordinary for the whole nation. And I think that the opportunity to play a, just a very small part in, in what was UK PLC contribution to a huge moment in, in, in British sporting history, but a huge moment in, in British cultural history, in, in, in British history per se, from the organising committee to the volunteers to the international federations who put on the sporting event itself to um, the British team and the British athletes and, and I think hu hugely proud to be part of something which was um, almost a national contribution I think um, if I could put it like that which um, changed the face of Great Britain albeit for a short time and lots of anecdotes about people talking to strangers and, and, and all that kind of thing but the goodwill and a good feel factor that emanated I think from, from London 2012 I mean, interestingly, you know, I, I had the um, I had the task of um, Bradley Wiggins opened the ceremony with uh, you may not recall, but some listeners might. They, he he had he was he was Tour de France champion the first time, uh, 2012. He, he he had to don the bell to start, and and it was my job to to do all the forward planning for that. And um, which the decision was on the Wednesday before the ceremony on the Friday. So I went down to the to the um, stadium in the Olympic Park, the Olympic Stadium. And, and typically you wouldn't go to the stadium before the opening ceremony. And then um, having to do the planning and I walked into the stadium to see where the bell was and, and all that kind of stuff. And there was a huge, you know, England's green and pleasant land had been built in the stadium. I mean, it was extraordinary to think that track and food would be taking place there in 10 days time. And in the undercroft, there were, there were goats and sheep and ducks and hundreds of NHS hospital beds, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, and then, and then walking out in the opening ceremony, you could just see the whole culmination of just, just what a huge, huge endeavour uh, that, that, that particular event, you know, was and what it meant to, you know, the history of, of culture in Great Britain and, 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 you know, and so on. It was just, just massive. Uh, and, you know, so it's very, um, you know, it's hugely proud to be just part of that. And the second one, I think, um, not necessarily personal, but but I was invited to lead the Great Britain team at the 2016 Olympic Games, and and 
that took place in Rio de Janeiro, uh, you know, which was a tough, um, a tough place to go and, and a tough environment to operate in. And and the, the, the British athletes did something that they that, that no, nobody had ever done globally before, which was win more medals post hosting the game. So we won 67 medals or the athletes won 67 medals in Rio and, and 65 in London. So it had never been done by any nation post hosting. and. I was invited, as I said, and, and, and proud to lead the team and lead the delegation. And, and there was over a thousand of us in, in, in Brazil. And, and of that a thousand, you know, just so proud of every single member of the team. And we had a great culture. And we might touch on culture later. We had yeah. a great culture in the team and the values were important. And, and so, I, I, you know, I think that's the greatest sporting achievement by a by a multi-sport team in the history of, of British sport. You know, I really do believe that and, and, and the athletes were outstanding. So I was hugely proud to, again, be part of that, but proud of, of the athletes that, that contributed such great performances. You know, it's a real privilege to be part of that. And, and uh, I guess on a personal level, when my first son was born, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I had a son. Oh. <laughs> I remember that it was in the days where you didn't have mobile phones. It was in the days when you telephoned people. I remember sitting on the bottom of my stairs in my house at the time, which was in Woodford Green in East London and in Essex. And, and I remember calling people. And I remember thinking, you know, I've got a son. I don't believe, you know, I, don't, I can't believe I have a son. Oh. And I've now got six, Angela. I've now got six sons. <laughs> and, and I'm immensely proud. They range between 29 and, um, and seven. Wow. Uh, and I'm immensely proud of every single, no daughters, no daughters. And I always say it takes a real man to produce a daughter, but I didn't, I didn't, quite, I didn't quite manage that. So, you know, to have six sons and, and, and they all, they've all gone off in different directions. And, and um, I've got three older ones and three younger ones. And the three younger ones seem to be a carbon copy of the three older ones, which is oh. in itself. And we're very proud of you know every achievement that they have they, you know whether it's whether it's small or impactful you know i've been very you know i've been blessed i've been very lucky it's <laughs> usually lucky no more incredible if anybody's listening though, that knows me no more. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no more six is enough <laughs> I've got the I think that was the trick. Uh, yeah. have you so, ever had to get a minibus well i had to get a bigger house which <laughs> <laughs> which was um, financially impactful. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. The thing that, that has stuck out for me, obviously we're talking about proudest moments, but when I've been looking at some of the images of you from the games, there are lots of kind of intense images of you and your face. And, and the word that popped into my head as I was looking at these images was that word pride, because you could just see it bursting out of you. And I've got no idea who you were watching or who you were interacting with, but that was the word that sprung to mind. And I guess it plays into that culture bit as well. And, and let's go there. Let's talk about how you create a culture of, you know, success, of having that mindset of going and wanting to win. And then, you know, everything that kind of fits around that. It'd be great to explore that with you. Yeah. Well, I think it's on a number of levels. The planning of an Olympic campaign perhaps lasts five years, really. So, um, you know, we've been on the journey, whether it was London, Tokyo, Rio de Janeiro, Athens, Beijing, you know, it's a five-year campaign, really. And, and, and you, the, the reason I say it's on two levels is, one, 
you have to have that internal what is your staff you know what is the culture within the office what's the culture of the you know the environment in, in the kind of planning phase and then you have to create um, a, a, and develop a culture with the team and the team is you know when i say the team i'm predominantly talking about the 315 to 380 athletes whatever that happens to be and their their support their wider network of personal coaches knowledgeists and and team leaders and performance directors and so on so it, it is on two levels and, and the challenge that we have in the olympic environment is you have to create a place at the olympics that people feel that they belong you know and and belonging is an important part of of our our campaign and our our strategy and i say that because the women's hockey team in rio the rio de janeiro for example the one gold the gold medal they, they have their own values and they have their own culture and the boxers have a very different set of values and different culture and the judo players and the track and field athletes and the swimmers and, you know, and, and so on and so forth so on this on this journey you have to bring everybody together at, at this moment in time and create the right environment for athletes to perform at, at their best and one of the ways in which i think we do is exceptionally well in great britain is we have a what we call a one team culture so you might be a hockey player but actually when you come into the olympic games you're part of a much bigger bigger juggernaut really in, in many respects you're part of this bigger juggernaut this big olympic campaign this big olympic team where it is as important for somebody to achieve a personal best you know as it is for them to win a gold medal you know an individual's um eye so we have a, a one team culture we have a, a set of five values um that we've developed um on that journey and and we we have the same values the four values pride unity responsibility and respect underpin performance so when you talk about how do we drive the success of the team, everything and every decision we make is predicated on um, allowing athletes to perform to their pinnacle at the right moment in time, which for some is extraordinary. You know, you're talking about people who are half the peak in under 10 seconds in, um, you know, in, in Olympic Games once in four years, you know, maybe 10 seconds plus in a, you know, in a hundred meters heat and semi, and then, and then under 10 seconds in the final to, to perform to the best of their ability. And, and over, you know, over a four year campaign to peak for that moment is extraordinary. One of the great things about your British athletes and the British sporting system is that we put the Olympic games as the pinnacle of the athletes, um, of the athletes performance and the athletes dream in many respects and, um, and and so a lot of nations you know do well in world championships on the road to the olympics we may not do so well but we peak at an olympic games and you know that that's hugely important for me personally because my job is a very simple one Angela, and that is that my job is, is very simply to um to, to to try and support athletes in making their dreams come true you know and i really feel that that is an important um it's, it's an important principle in, in, in everybody that works for the British Olympic Association and everybody works for Team GB. You know, it's a very selfless role that we have to, of necessity, take. What a cool reason why that is, though, to help other people make their dreams come true. I mean, that's a reason to get out of bed in the morning, isn't it? Well, it is, uh, you know, and it means an awful lot to me for 
you know, Dina Asher-Smith, for example, to be an Olympic champion or for Jay Jones to be a triple Olympic mm -hmm. champion or for Andy Murray to, you know, win another Olympic title. It's hugely important for me. You know, we, we, we didn't win a, a medal in, um, in, in gymnastics, you know, since I think I'm right in say 2024 until Lewis Smith won silver in, in, in Beijing and now Max Whitlock has won two, you know, won two gold, you know, within 30 minutes of each other in Rio. And for him to be a three-time Olympic champion in the sport of gymnastics, which has been dominated by mm. you know, the Soviet countries and Eastern Europe and, and, and America and, and Japanese and Chinese, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And, and um, you know, to have that opportunity to just play a very small part, I think, in creating and, and it is a you know it's a huge complex system of individuals that come together to you know to jointly make that environment and to jointly have that ambition that you know we're going to get as many people across the line as we possibly can and when i say across the line it just doesn't it doesn't mean on the podium although that is important and and we're judged by that you know the british public <laughs> judges <Of course. laughs> Right by that, you know, there's a lot of lottery money that's gone into it. So we are judged by that. But, but you know, for, for athletes to go to Olympic Games, to be able forevermore for their families and for their grandchildren, you know, to know that their grandparents were, were Olympians. Yeah. yeah, huge, huge. And they did their personal best, you know, whatever that happened to be, you know, they came fourth in an Olympic Games. But you know what? when time fades, you know, they'll know that was the best, that was that the best could do. we do, and that was yeah. fantastic, and, you know, so, so it's been a lot of fun, it's very complex, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I started by, I said I would do one games, and <laughs> here I am in your introduction, you know, saying, you know, well, I've done 10 Olympic winters and Olympic summers, so, isn't that always the case though? You start with one and then it carries on and on. Yeah. No, I think one of the things that's really interesting about what you've just been talking about is this idea that there are lots of different, different teams that have their own values and then you bring them together as one team with one set of shared values. <clears throat> I think that's that's relevant in a corporate environment as well, where you have lots of different functions led by different leaders in different ways. But then actually being able to come together for that kind of, you know, that, that greater good, that nation over tribe mentality. But I think one of the things that's interesting about that is how do you get people bought into a set of values if they're used to working with different ones? Yeah, I think values are really interesting to me because um, I shared a platform after the 2016 games and really wanted to know, you know, how, how did you do what you know what, what the team did and and i remember sharing a platform with the leading chief executive of probably a FTSE 100 company who spoke before me and didn't know that i was speaking about values and he got up and said all oh, values are like bollocks you know they're just, they're just um they just, work, they're just they're just words on a post they around the room and nobody believes in them and i get that and i get that because Partly to answer your question, values are not top down. It's not. It's not for the board or the chief executive to say we're going to have we're going to have um, unity or we, you know we're going to have integrity. Integrity is a good one because lots of people have integrity, but it's not for them to say we're going to have integrity. So integrity was a word that we deliberated over, and and our values are bottom up. So our values come from come from the athletes, they come from our athlete commission. 
and they come from um, our group of team leaders for each of the sports with a working group and, and they chose those values and the reason that words like unity are not part of our integrity um, is not a word that combat sports people fighters would would not necessarily use it, it they're not comfortable using you know our boxing team you know and, and, and I'm, I'm not i'm trying not to generalize because some of our boxers have got <laughs> have got fine art degrees and, and so on so i'm trying not to generalize and so but typically a lot of athletes and you know we have we have very young athletes they're six you know 16 year olds you know sky brown is you know who's a skateboardist you know she, she would have been 12 at this, this game, she'll, she'll be 13 next game. Integrity is not a word that, that would no, naturally she not resonate. Use. No, so, so the words that we have about pride, about unity, responsibility, and so on, that they are words that have been developed and, and agreed upon by, by the people who have to use them. So we started it predominantly around 2008, 2009 and 10. So London um, was a strong iteration. I was very fortunate to, to, um, to sit next to Sir Clive Woodward for about seven years. You know, He had a very strong value-led culture and he, he introduced the team, the board team, primarily because in, in the London games and the host games, you, 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 every team qualifies, every, you know, so uh -huh. we took... We took, you know, we took 540-odd athletes to um, 541. They weren't odd athletes, they were 541 athletes to, to the Olympic Games. And, 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 um, and we had to bring that group together as a, as a united team. And everything we did, you know, from how we dressed, what we wore, when we wore it, how we presented ourselves, how we became good hosts, you know, which is really interesting about the importance of the Commonwealth Games in 2022 and Birmingham and, you know, how can Team England, I've been fortunate enough to, to be invited to lead that team, how are we good hosts to the other Commonwealth nations coming to, um, to Birmingham and the Midlands and the West Midlands and England and, and the UK? And, and back in 2012, how could we be good hosts? How, how, how did we want to be Remember is something Clive always says. How do we want to be remembered as individuals? And, and, and then how do we want to be remembered as good hosts? You know, people leaving this country saying, that was fantastic. You know, that was the best experience I ever had. So the, the values piece is important that it, it generates from within the cohort, either through the staff or through, you know, the client groups that you're working with. That's an top, amazing... Top down, it's a disaster, I think. Uh, but that's what happens in lots of corporate organisations. It's it's created in the boardroom rather than in the grassroots. So it's lovely to hear you say that. And well, let's pick up on that question then. Let's pinch one of Clive's questions and ask you how you'd want to be remembered when you retire. Uh, when I retire, <laughs> probably go 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 back to a very very simple response and say you know seriously answer it's it, it's it's not about me you know it, it, you know i hope people think that i did the right thing for them at the right time you know and and, and hopefully the history books will show that the, the british olympic association not mark england but the british olympic association you know did a fantastic job in in supporting the performance aspirations in in, in what is a very very complex environment when you're when you're working overseas in particular you know in, in different cultures different environments 
the complexity of it is um, is extraordinary. And, you know, I just hope that you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm not just saying that people don't need to remember me, but I think they need to remember the remember the organisation and the and the and the huge part that the British Olympic Association plays alongside other, um, you know, really important organisations, UK Sport, the Institute, the High Performance Institute structure in the UK, the um, the national federations, the, the individuals who work there, I've been, you know, I've been blessed and, and I've worked with some fantastic, um, fantastic people. And most importantly, the, the athletes. And interestingly, last night I was watching a programme, uh, as we all do, I guess, at the moment. I was, I was dipping into Amazon and I was watching Amir Khan's professional career. And um, extraordinary that a 17-year-old Muslim boy, Amir Khan, who in his first round in Athens, he was the only boxer, he was the only boxer to qualify, so, you know, we think we're going to get win a lot of medals in 2012 and 2016 or whatever, whatever. Uh, he was the only boxer to qualify as a 17-year-old and, and um, shared a room with, with um, somebody he'd never met before and had to fight the European champion, quite a senior boxer in his first round, and he beat the European champion and... He he had the world of his you know he had the world on his on his shoulders really in terms of the British camp and, and the Olympics and you know just extraordinary that that um, you know I had the opportunity to you know to work alongside individuals like him you know, he's, you know right. and he's from my hometown as well I've got a signed oh. boxing glove of his yes have you I didn't I know have. that just for the listeners I didn't know that. <laughs> That wasn't a plant at all. No, I didn't know that. No, and 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 I didn't know actually, Angela, the amount of the amount of charity and ambassadorial work that he does, not just mm. in Pakistan and for his foundation and you know, a very generous giving young man, you know. As you are a very generous and giving man, and and you, you, I mean your humility is gorgeous. But I know that you've played a pivotal role. I mean, thirty-five years involved in the leadership, and and let's talk about that because lessons learned along the way, I'm sure, are plentiful. Um, but what are the key lessons, and how have they shaped you? Well, thirty-five years in in sport, not necessarily in the Olympics. Just to, to clarify that, I've been with um, with Team GB since um, two thousand, so almost twenty years in this environment. And life experiences shape you, don't they? You know, personal and professional. On a professional level, I think that um, I moved around a lot. You know, in my younger days, in, in terms of different. Um, different roles and different jobs. I didn't know what I wanted to be other than I wanted to be involved in sport. But you, you've kind of given away my age now by saying I've been involved for 35 years. So, so the, the, the industry wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. So when I did a postgraduate in recreation management, there was only a, a vocational course in North London and one at Loughborough University. So one, and I chose the North London vocational route. But the, um, I, I, I did a history degree at Leeds University and, and um, I, I only ever wanted to do one of two things. I either wanted to join the Royal Navy and actually they changed, I was hopeless at science and they changed the, um, they changed the educational qualifications to, to have a physics, you needed a physics-based science and that, 
score the line right through my career. So I was a bit <laughs> lost. Other than I wanted to be involved in sport. I wasn't good enough to be a PE teacher. I wasn't good enough for physical education to be a PE teacher. And I didn't want to be a teacher. You know, my family were teachers and I didn't want to be a teacher. So the rebellious um, <laughs> part of me was probably shining through in my late teens and early 20s. But I wanted to be involved in sport. And suddenly an industry called sport development opened up in front of me. And I was fortunate to be at the forefront of that. And, and I moved around a lot. I, you know, I had some great, um, great roles in, in sport development. And, and, and I, led, um, I led either small individual teams or I led teams to, to competition from a reasonably early age. And, and, and I think I was probably quite brave at the time. You know, I moved, you know, I moved to Glasgow having never been to wow. Scotland before. And, and, and um, you know, I headed up the, the largest sports development unit in, in Europe at the time. Um, and we kind of hung on to the coattails of the, of the city of culture um, that Glasgow had, um, you know, in the early 90s. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to be working with some good people. And, and I think you take, if you can take the good from the people who, um, who you report to and, and, and who manage you, you take their good traits and, and try and bottle that up, I think. Because everybody has some pretty bad traits, you know, everybody, whatever it happens to do. But if you can kind of bottle up the good traits of individuals and, and then, and then uh, you know, the key, key lesson for me, I think, is you need to have... You know, you need to you need to have people who are very good working for you. You know you need to have a good team around you. You need to to select good people. Um, and and in that regard, I, I smile to myself because the people I I have worked with have made me look you know much much better than I actually have. <laughs> they've been they have been fantastic. And 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 as I said, you know, well, working in complex environments, it's it's difficult sometimes. To, to select the right people and, and you know I've been fortunate to, to, have, to have worked for alongside and, and have worked for me you know some terrifically terrifically talented people I mean when I interview people Enzo, you know and you, sometimes you ask them you know you know what do you, you know what do you, how how you know the three words you know don't ask me this answer, but you know the three words that best describe you I'm, I'm, I start, you know, I'm absolutely in awe of the, the, the responses that come back. I think to myself, my God, you know, I could, I wouldn't even get close to responses like that. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I, I interviewed somebody once who I didn't understand a word they said. They used a lot of jargon, but I knew that they, they I knew that they had the ability to be good. And I suppose it's about giving people time, isn't it, to express that. And, I stopped the interview and I said, I'm really sorry, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, I, you know, I do think you're quite interesting. And, you know, what do you do at the weekend? And he said, oh, you know, I'm a keen cyclist. And so we started to talk about cycling and what his aspirations were and what his motivations were through, through his hobby. And through that, you know, he became one of our, one of our most gifted program oh, managers and program planners, you know, that, that really drove... The early parts of our our Rio program, you know, where I could have shut him off quite early on. So I think but you there's, 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 there's good traits in everybody, isn't there? And I think with experience and time allows you to maybe explore that in a bit more detail, a bit more time. And I think experience allows you to be more relaxed yourself. Mm. In 
and getting up, you know, the best out of individuals and the best out of people at interview. And, um, you know, to, to ensure that, you know, from both sides of, um, of the desk or table or the environment that you're having an interview, that, that you know, that, that it's a pretty relaxed affair. Because at the end of the day, you know, we are all at work for such a long period that people need to enjoy it. And that, you yes. know, people, do need, people do need to have that belonging, have that home there. You know, they need to, to whether, you know, and I guess my world is very different. You have an office environment and then you have an overseas planning environment. And um, drawing on my experience with um, with Clive again, you know, he used to say, you know, would you want to sit next to this person on a flight to, to Sydney? <laughs> And, and if, you're plane, <laughs> if you're at the back of a plane for 23 hours with a three-hour stopover in Singapore or whatever it happens to be, whilst, whilst being in Sydney in, in January is hugely enticing and attractive to take young athletes to uh, a youth festival. I have done on, on three occasions. Sitting next to them for the duration is a good, <laughs> um, is a good litmus test, I think, in any interview interview questions so um yeah so, so i mean the point the point being that, that you know we have an office and people are great in offices and uh-huh. the office becomes their becomes their go-to place that's this becomes their social life through whatever whatever and then you have this opportunity to travel um and i've been very fortunate i've been to, to places that you know and so you know I only only joined the, the BOA for a couple of weeks, and I led a team to northern Finland, a, a little, wow. little or Kayani, and I would never go to Finland, and I've never been back. So, um, although I great opportunities, absolutely healthy, yeah. And then and then you have this extraordinary environment, which is the Olympic Games or the Olympic Winter Games. I mean, you know, you are it, it is completely surreal. You are living in an Olympic village, which is. It's 206 nations all living together in, in almost complete harmony. It's an environment that is never replicated anywhere else on the planet, you know, not even in the United Nations meeting, you know, where there's disagreement. This is, it is extraordinary that people live in complete harmony and it, 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 it embodies the best of, of life, really. It embodies the best of humanity to to see people in that environment and it is a it's complex and and and, and pressured mm. in a way in a way that isn't for everybody and i i've worked out i've probably lived about a year and a half in that environment in 18 months of my life <laughs> and i hesitate to say i've not wasted them i've i've enjoyed enormously being in you know in close proximity proximity to and living with Britain's elite athletes from you know Anthony Joshua to Mark Cavendish to Bradley Wiggins to Andy Murray you know you know I, I you know I could I could go on and on and on and you, if if you do want to learn and you you know you are a sponge for and you have a thirst to be better then then um, you know it, it, it's a great environment to to be part of and a great I've been, um, as I said, I've been very lucky, very lucky. Well, let's yeah. pick up that pressure point because I can imagine there's highs and there's lows and, you know, everything in between in, in that environment that you spent the year and a half in iteratively. How do you cope with the pressure that must be on your shoulders during that time? Yeah, I'm good with pressure, actually. Um, and um, 
I, th I you know, I, I don't know whether I was put on the planet to, to be in an Olympic village, but I'm good on pressure because I, you know, and I, I, it's experience really. And so, so, you know, when I say, it was, it, you know, I've been there 20 years, my first Olympic Winter Games was 2002, it was Salt Lake City, horrendous experience. I came back and people said, oh, that must have been fantastic. And I said, you know, it was about four out of ten. I didn't understand it. I didn't really understand what was happening. I had a ground rush, you know, competition was happening. People were moving in and out of the environment. You know, I just wasn't mentally and probably wasn't physically prepared for the rigors of 42 nights away from home mm. in an open environment, in a, in a, in a village that, that, you know, was fast paced and moving. And, and um, you know, and, and, and so early when I said, I said I'd do one games, I knew that there was more in, I knew I could be better than that. And so um, that drove me to... Um, the Olympic Summer Games in Athens in 2004. And what was interesting around that time was the effects of um, of the lottery investment in in, in high performance sport in the in the UK was beginning to have a, a very positive impact. For the first time, our athletes were full time. You know, they they could train full time. They didn't have to eke out a living and train. You know, in their spare time. So we had professional athletes which meant that the professionalization of national federations was became more and more important and 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 their investment their financial investment or the financial investment in them was greater than the than the resource that the British Olympic Association had had so you know we received no government funding whatsoever everything that we earn and, and invest in athletes is is led by our commercial team and through sponsorship and donations and so on. And, 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 and so what happens, it, it, you know, is that you have this very professional group of individuals and, and, and support staff dealing in a very complex and, and technical way with, with athletes to bring out the best in, in the athletes. And we're playing catch up. And that drove me, that, that drove me to want to be better and for want, and, you know, a huge pride in, huge pride in, in, my employer, whoever it happens to be, you know, I'm very conscious that that's the name on my paycheck at the end of the month. And, and, and I wanted the British Olympic Association to be seen as a real forerunner. So, you know, I, I was driven to, to work really hard to, to make sure that in Athens and, and, and post-Athens in, in Beijing and London, we were doing the best that we possibly could. But along the way, you know, leading 13 youth Olympic teams, being part of the leadership for every Olympic winter games and summer games, gave me that, um, gave me that kind of back, back catalogue and gave me that bank of experience yeah. to deal with pressure and to know what is, what is coming in the Olympic games. And the Olympic environment is... 33 sports are now in, in, the, in the summer games. But um, just a bit of technical information for, for, um, for listeners, you know, aquatics is a sport. So within aquatics, you have diving, synchronised swimming, water polo. Sorry, Anthony, you just cut out there. What you have is 33 sports, but you, 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 we probably have somewhere now in the region of 50 disciplines. And, and what that translates to in Olympic Games is 50 world championships that takes place over 17 days. So it is incredibly fast moving. And the one, the one, the one lesson I think I'd give to, um, you know, to, to everybody, I reinforce it with people who've been there before, but, um, you know, particularly for, for, for people who are starting out on, on careers, um, you know, in the Olympic environment is 
you need to know what is happening in the next 24 hours because if you don't you will not be playing catch up it is it is so fast paced that you'll be lost and, and and i think i reflect as i said on my first olympic experience in 2002 and i was probably playing catch up for for 15 days at <laughs> 17 and then, you know and 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 it becomes a very uncomfortable if things are out of control things are out of control you know it's a good lesson for all businesses mm. if things are out of control it's hard to rein them back in so yes. The preparation um, and the time invested in the what-if scenarios or understanding who is coming in and who is coming out and the fact that we might have, you know, four to five hundred bags of kit arriving at the welcome centre in the village in addition to 100 athletes all who are excited because they're entering the village for the first time or um, or have seen it all before and, uh, uh, you know, and you have new people on the block who are slightly in awe of uh, you know, seeing Anthony Joshua or, um, you know, Jay Jones or, you know, Katrina Johnson-Thompson or Dean or Asher Smith, whatever it happens to be. So um, experience does count a lot in, in this world as it does in, in, in many businesses and in many walks of life. And being absolutely on it. Um, so, so let's talk about my final question for you. Oh, yeah. But it's the killer question that everybody wants to know the answer to. So in your mind... And in all of your experience, what is the absolute secret to success? It's probably a combination, Angela, of things that I've touched on, I think, which isn't the absolute secret, isn't it? You know, it, it is a combination of factors. I think in my world, and, 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 and people can translate it to a business environment, but in my world, you, you need you need to completely understand the environment in which you are <clears throat> operating and working in. So an Olympic campaign in Rio de Janeiro, where you know there are going to be challenges, you know that um, that, that it you know everything will be all right on the night, but on the journey it's pretty pretty challenging. Uh, will be very different to a China or a Japan mm. operation. But knowing the environment in which you're working in um, and, and operating in, including knowing what the opposition are doing and, and using, um, you know, m making decisions on evidence, making evidence-based decisions at all times, I think, is important with, with a bit of gut feel thrown in. Um, having very good people around you, having confidence, having the ability to make brave decisions, um, you know, so I don't think, I, you know, you know, hard work endeavor, all that kind of stuff. But I don't, I don't think you can say, you know, being driven, it, it, you know, is, it, it, you know, there's lots of people who are driven who are driving down a cul-de-sac, probably. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I just, um, I think it's a, I think it's just a, a combination of things, Angela. That, well, you that, mentioned three E's, so we've got experience. Have I? <laughs> you've got environment and you've got using the evidence that's around you so I think that that could be an infographic in itself Mark England and his 3e secret to success well ne next time I need a script writer I'll give you a <laughs> oh do you know what I mean there are just so many things that we could talk about it's just been an absolute pleasure to get an insight into you your experience and all of the things that you've learned along the way so I just want to say a massive thank you for taking the time and for being so honest and open and um, I'm sure it's going to inspire and help lots of people so thank you very much. My pleasure Angela, Angela I'm glad the technology worked. <laughs>
<laughs> Goodness in lockdown. Thank you very much. Thank you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.